Hey there, Journey. It's good to see you. Yeah, good morning to all of you. Good morning. Uh, my name's Chris, and I'm the student ministries pastor around here, and it's just a pleasure to be with all of you this morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, joining me on stage this morning is this fancy little piece of paper. You can try and read it, but you won't be able to from there, so I'm going to tell you what it, it says. And, it, and I'm not exactly sure how to break this to you, but if you've ever had me speak to you in the past, it turns out that I was speaking to you illegally. All right? See, see this piece of paper here is, is an official license to preach. Right? So from, from this point forward, I'm now legally certified to share. Thank you. Okay. Yep. I received that on Wednesday at our denomination's annual conference, and I, it doesn't mean all that much, really, in the big scheme of things, but you can feel at ease because from this point forward, like, straight legal coming at you. That's, that's what it's going to be. Uh, so, so legally speaking, we're in the second week of a series that we're calling Kingdom Come. Last week, Brian issued a pretty steep challenge on, on how it is that we care for the orphan and the oppressed, the downtrodden, and those left in the dust. And we're going to continue with that theme throughout this series to the end of the month. And, and actually, this morning, you'll be able to, to walk away with, with some tangible steps when it comes to caring for those in need. Right, so you can get excited about that. But first, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my own life. You see, back when I was in college, which was longer than you think, just so you know, this certificate, right? Like, you're like, here comes the 17-year-old, but now he has a certificate, so he can say whatever he wants, right? But I was actually in college a long time ago, and back then, I went on this trip to Sao Paulo, Brazil, and while I was there, God kind of asked me this question, and he said, Chris, what are you going to do about what you see? Right, and so what happened is, is I was walking down the streets of Sao Paulo and I saw this little girl and she had this plastic bag and she had it over her mouth like this and she was breathing in and out and inside that plastic bag was glue and she was huffing the fumes of glue in order to fight off the hunger that was invading her tummy. Right, this 12-year-old girl, she's so hungry that her only option is to huff glue, and, and, and I, I saw that, and I didn't know how to respond. Like, the, the greatness of her need was just paralyzing to me. Like, how, how could I save her or her family or her friends or all, all of those children that lined the streets of Sao Paulo? And so I went back to college with the, this weight on my shoulders, the, the, the plight of, of the orphan and the oppressed, the downtrodden, and those left in the dust, it caused my heart to sting. Right? And then I heard God asking me, he says, what are you going to do about what you see? Perhaps an overwhelming question to enter your senior year of college carrying, but it, but it shaped much of my life up to this point in the way that I live it. And I, I actually think that God's asking all of us who say we follow him and live for him, the very same question he's saying, what are you going to do about what you see? What are you going to do about what you see? And I'm going to kind of let that question just linger a bit, hang in the air. And since I was talking a little bit about college, I want to tell you about uh, my college basketball teammate named Tony. 
a bit of an awkward transition there, but I'm going to let that, that linger. And, and so Tony, my friend and teammate from college, he, he passed away on Wednesday after losing a battle with brain cancer. To, Tony had actually beaten the cancer a couple years prior. They thought he was, was healthy and ready to go, and then within like three weeks, he had passed away when the cancer came back. And it, it's a... It's a sobering feeling to lose a 25-year-old friend to brain cancer, right? To watch his body deteriorate from, from the vibrant, agile, athletic, lively person that he was. And my, my heart still hurts, and it probably will for a while, but it still hurts for his wife of, of one year, his family, and his friends, the, the people that are trying to, to process what that means. And so I don't actually know, when it was all said and done, where Tony stood on his faith. We had plenty of conversations about it. But I do know that, that my friend Ryan, who was also a teammate of ours in college, he, he loved on Tony. He prayed for Tony. He served Tony, just like I think Jesus would have done. Ryan, Ryan loved Tony as if Tony was the most important person in the world. Right, when, when I looked at Ryan, I, I saw someone who was, who was just willing to do whatever it took to connect Tony to God. And, and I know that as, as I try and figure out what I feel and what's going on with me, like, I want to be like Ryan as I process the ache in my soul at the loss of my friend Tony. I, I mentioned the last two services that I kind of wanted to talk more about Tony, but I don't think we'll do that. Today And so the bottom line is when, when, we, when we look at this girl from Brazil and we look at Tony, like the bottom line in both instances, in all instances, is that it's all about people. Or like eternity is at stake and I feel that urgency like just well up inside of me when, when, I, when I see life taken away, when someone I care about is gone or like I feel it and people matter to God. And so people have to matter to us. And I can, again, I just feel the ache and the urgency. And as I've been dealing with that the last few days, I've found comfort in, in the words of 2 Samuel 14, 14. And, and I wanted to, to share that with all of you. And, and here's what it says in, in 2 Samuel 14, 14. All of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. And as the heaviness of life tries to crush me beneath its weight, and as the heaviness of life tries to crush you beneath its weight, and, and girls from Brazil, and friends and family of Tony, and people the world over, it becomes so heavy that I believe we just become paralyzed to act. It's too heavy for us, and so we just stand motionless. And every day that we continue to stand still, it's just like another day where the water's being spilled on the ground. Days that cannot be gathered up again. Right, like a heavy, a heavy thought. But God, 
Right? It says that right in 2 Samuel 14, 14, but God, and whenever we see those two words together, but God, we know that everything is about to change in an instance, like, boom, it's going to change, and so it says, but God is devising ways to bring us everyone back to him and he wants to use you and he wants to use me and he wants to use us even when it's all too much it's all too heavy it's all too frightening even when our response to all of that is that we sit he still wants to use us and he wants to bring us to our feet and he wants us to just take one step at a time As he begins to restore all of humanity, he wants to use us. But in order for that to happen, we've got to grab hold of this God who changes everything. We've got to grab hold of a God who doesn't stay still, who doesn't stay dead. Like God moves. He's all about movement and he says to us, what are we going to do about what we see? What are we going to do about what we see? God expects us to act on his behalf. We are the action our faith requires, lest it become a dead faith. And so as we engage these questions of of how, right, or now what, or what are we going to do about what we see, I want us to wrap our, our hearts tightly around this challenge that I have for us. And this, this was first coined by Andy Stanley. And any, any challenge is this. He says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Like, let us not stand paralyzed by this massiveness of a calling before us. Yes, right, we see poverty and sickness, suffering and disease. It's so big and it's so scary and it's intimidating and daunting, but let's do for one. Let's do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. Start with one, invest in one, love one. Because, I mean, seriously, one is so much less than seven billion, right? Like, what a great starting point. So let's do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. The Apostle Paul, he actually states it pretty clearly in Galatians 6, 2. And he just says simply, he says, Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Share each other's burdens because that's what Jesus would do. That's what he's saying. right? But then, just a few verses later, he speaks into the weariness of life. He knows that the weight of the ache and sharing the burdens of even one is not easy. It's overwhelming. It's challenging. He knows that it can be troubling and terrifying and painful. And so this is how he responds in Galatians 6, 9 and 10. He says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. And when I, when I read that, I'm so struck by the use of the words, whenever we have the opportunity. Like, isn't that pretty similar to the question, what are we going to do about what we see? Like, what, what are we, whenever we see this it that God lets us see, right, whatever that it is, we are now in the presence of opportunity. 
We are in the presence of opportunity to do what is good, to act. And God will use our actions so that he will be glorified. His rescuing hand, when we act on his behalf, will be praised. That's what will happen when we're in the presence of opportunity and we choose to do good. But I, I have this friend whose name is Yossi. And, and life has not swept him away because someone had the opportunity to act and did. My friend Yossi, he's from Ethiopia. And, and he was the translator for the team that I got to go with both times in the last year and a half. And over that time we were able to spend together, we developed a, a pretty strong friendship and relationship. And Yossi's life has just been pressed deeply by the weight of this world. It's been pushed hard. But, but that, that weight was and is nothing for the strength of God in his life. And, and so, you see, Yossi, he was, he was the son of a prostitute. His mom was a prostitute, and so he never ended up knowing his dad. His dad was someone that just stopped in and left, and he never knew of him again. And then at the age of seven, Yossi's mom, she died of AIDS, a common death for a prostitute in Ethiopia. And so now Yossi was all alone. He had no home. He had no family. He had nowhere to go. He just had a bunch of nothing. Right? And sometimes nothing can be heavier than nothing. But God. Right? Those two words, but God. Hope collided with his nothing in the form of this organization that was then called Christian Children's Fund. And they specialed in child sponsorship. And so after three years of living on the street. From the age of seven to the age of ten, Yossi doing whatever he had to do to just stay alive, to fight, to live. At the age of ten, just imagine that, right? Three years, seven to ten, living on the street, trying to stay alive. And at the age of ten, this organization, they come and they, they, they find him and they get him. And they bring him in. And at the age of ten, a sponsor was found for Yossi. Or you see this man from Pennsylvania. He had the opportunity to do good. And he did, he took up that opportunity and he chose to sponsor Yossi. As a result of the sponsorship, Yossi now had something. He was being fed, cared for, sheltered, looked after, sent to school. But on top of all that, even more important than all of that, even more important than just being loved by some people, Yossi met Jesus. Every aspect of of Yossi's life was impacted by the power of doing for one. Since then, Yossi, he's completed school all the way through the university level. Right? He's been trained, he's been educated, he's fluent in English. Right? But deeper than all of that, Yossi is busy serving and loving children on the streets of Addis, the very streets he was rescued from. Yossi is doing for one and then some what he wishes he could just do for everyone. But it wouldn't have been possible if a man from Pennsylvania and an organization with a mission hadn't begun to just try and do for one what they wish they could do for everyone. It's the power of doing for one. And here's what I learned about myself while I was in Ethiopia and through Yossi's story. Maybe you'll be able to relate to this. I'm prone to walk along each day, 
occasionally praising God for, for my life, which, yes, we must do often and always, right? But all the while, walking along, closing my eyes to the emergencies that are just happening all around me that are staring me in the face. Those who are the orphan and the oppressed, the downtrodden and those left in the dust, like, that is an emergency. It is. And so Isaiah 58 starts to walk us through this path that we find ourselves on and the path that God intends for us. And so here's what God's word says, beginning in verse 5 of Isaiah 58. And God's just speaking to people like you and me. He says, you humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? Right, or it could just say to us, why are you going through the motions? Right, why are we, people who claim to be followers of Jesus, who give our whole heart to Jesus, just staring wide-eyed at the emergencies and needs in front of us, doing nothing? Right, God's saying to us, no, 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 no. You have it wrong. The motions aren't important. Stop going through the motions pretending that you care. And so then in verse 6, he begins to show us how to act, how to live for him, what he wants us to do. And so this is what God says starting in verse 6. He says, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here, he will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors, right? Or stop talking and start walking. God says, feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, or you will be bursting forth with life. You will be like an ever-flowing spring. Church, that is who we must be. This is what we must be about. Right? You see, when we go back to the very beginning, each one of you, each one of us, was created in God's image to be a part of his story. Right? And, and as, as you turn to him to reconcile and restore all the brokenness that is our lives, all the brokenness that is this world, right, we find that he's not actually waiting with a finger wagging, right? but instead with arms open wide. You and I, we see a God that is loving and merciful and compassionate. And when we step into those arms, the arms that are open so wide, but we're never the same. You are changed and you're forgiven and you're rescued. And now, you must not hold it in. 
You must not hold it in. You must be so moved by the love of God that you move, that we move. Right, like, let, let's just be painfully honest for a second. Right, so often we invalidate the story that God is telling. Right, if we want to tell about a God who is loving and merciful and compassionate, but we aren't, right, then we invalidate that story that God is desiring to tell through us. But, right, but when we live that holiness out, that calling out, that love out, we begin to validate the story. It brings God's story alive to everyone around us. We find ourselves caught up in the story, living out the plot, developing our character as we follow the leading and the moving of God. We must do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. We've got to stop putting it off. We've got to stop standing still. We definitely have to stop saying someone else will do it. We can't say that anymore. Someone else will do it because, because if we do for one, that one could be the girl in the yellow dress that we saw last week, or it could be my friend Yossi in Ethiopia. It could be my, my teammate, Tony, or it could be that girl in Brazil who's huffing glue to stave off the hunger in her belly. One matters. One matters. In the church of Jesus, that's us. We are to be the hope of the world and God is choosing us to bring that hope. He's choosing us to bring that hope that that Jesus is enough, that Jesus matters just one at a time. Like imagine with me, and you might have to close your eyes to imagine this, but imagine with me if if we all chose to do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. Like, like, Like imagine if our one was we did sponsor a child, or, or we brought some food to somebody who was hungry, or we, we clothed someone who had no clothes, or we invited someone to stay in our home who had no home, or maybe it's just as simple as, as inviting someone to come and join us on a weekend and sit with us and say, hey, this is what my God is all about. Imagine if every single one of us did for one what we wish we could do for everyone. Wow. We can't assume that someone else is going to do it, though. We've got to be the ones that do it. Right? Like, like get this. Back back in 1981, right, I was negative three at the time, 52% of the world was living in extreme poverty. 52%. Fast forward to today, 26% of the world is living in extreme poverty. One generation cut it in half. Like, there is hope, right? There is progress taking place. God is moving. And how are we going to get around God's business? What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about what we see? Right, and I'd say, as the church, how about this? How about if we do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. We start there and we start now being the church that God has called us to be. As that kind of settles on you, if you would, just just put your stuff aside for a moment. Feel free to, to bow your head and close your eyes. And at this time, just give God some space in your own heart. Give God some space.
Ask him, ask him how he wants you to move. Ask him who the one might be. Open your life up to acting and moving on his behalf. Let him speak that to you now. As you're just thinking and praying and talking to God about what that action looks like with, with your eyes still closed and head still bowed, I just want to take a moment to talk to anyone here who might not be ready for the action step because you haven't yet crossed that line into a relationship where you're following after God. And if that's you, I want, I want to read 2 Samuel 14, 14 to you again. All of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. And maybe today is the day God wants to bring you to him. Maybe you feel like your life is just water spilling out on the ground, ending up closer and closer to nothing and today God doesn't want to sweep your life away he wants to make you new he wants to forgive you and love you and bring you to him and so if you're here today and that's what you want to do you, you, would be, you would be choosing today to acknowledge that Jesus is the son of God who died for you and you're asking forgiveness for all the sin that's been piling up in your life if you're choosing today to grab hold of Jesus. He is the one who set the example of doing for one when he died for you. If you want today to be the day that everything by the power of Jesus changes and you step into a life committed to following him, I would just ask that you would be so bold as to just acknowledge that right now. Lift your hand up, make eye contact with me and say, today, yep, I see you back there. God is going to do something in your life. Today He's going to bring you back to him. Yep, I see you right there too. Let God change you right now, right there. Back there as well. Let God change you right now. Yep, I see you over there too. And right here up front. I wouldn't want to miss anybody. Another day is like water spilled on the ground, yep. God, we just, we just thank you for being a God who loves us so much that you would send your son to die for us. And God, I pray that we would be so moved by that love as a church, as a community of followers of you that we couldn't help but live that out. God, just building us such a courageous spirit that we would go and do for one what we wish we could do for everyone and that you would get the glory and you would be praised and you would do what only you can do, God. You are that powerful. You are that mighty. We just pray that as your spirit works within us, you would change lives for eternity, God. We give all of this to you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.
Okay, so normally the person leaves the stage after that, right? And we're, we're not going to do things like we usually do, right? Because I just got this license thing, so I'm going sermon round two. And so, so here we go. Uh, but to be honest, I, I wanted to give you an opportunity uh, to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And, and I believe it's so important that we act on that and that you get the opportunity to do so that I wanted to give it some special attention. And so th- this weekend we have, we have some organizations out in the lobby there and one of them is Compassion, Interna- Compassion International and they have child sponsorships. And so I just want to tell you a little bit about Compassion in their program because Compassion is legit. They're legit, and here's a few reasons why you can think about these. One, they're a four-star charitynavigator.org organization, and that might not actually mean anything to you, but that's the highest you can be rated because they are completely transparent financially. Over 80% of the funding that comes through the sponsorships goes directly to the children and the programs that those children are involved in. Another reason is we believe wholeheartedly in Compassion's model. They're they're Christ-centered, They're child-focused, they're church-based, and they're committed to integrity. Like four freaking solid pillars, right? Like that's good stuff. And on top of that, compassion, they're connected always to the local church and the communities they're serving. Which means there's no compassion sign on this church building, right? Like it's the, the local people, indigenous pastors and staff serving the people in those communities. It's all about the local church. And then lastly, Compassion's infrastructure is set up for you to communicate with the child you're sponsoring. Now that might not be super high on your list, but let me tell you, it is at the top of the list for the children who are sponsored to receive a letter and pictures and know that someone loves them and cares about them. It would blow your mind to know how much that means to these children. And so as you think about those, those ways that, that compassion is legit and you process that, I want you to watch this video about the influence and impact that compassion has had in the lives of children. Let's watch this. It was lunchtime. We were sitting around a table and we were all holding hands. And my father was praying for the lunch that we were about to eat. But there was only one problem. <laughs> Our table was empty. My earliest recollections is finding myself at the age of five, roaming the streets, eating from dumpsters. We were not able to have food at all. We were forced to live with 17 of our other relatives in a very small shanty. No toilets. A lot of crime. No running water. Rape for children. If you want to be out of poverty, then you have to deal with drugs. Some of my friends were actually sold into prostitution. Kids dying for preventable causes. And as darkness engulfs the place, the devil takes over. One morning, I just woke up that, you know, my uncle is just touching me in some parts of my body that I just thought to myself that this can't be happening. One day, my father was murdered right next to my mother, and I knew that moment that my life had changed. I watched as my 10-month-old sister died in the laps of my mother out of starvation. My relatives would always tell me, Michelle, you are so ugly. You will become nothing but a thief and a drug addict when you grow up. And 
those were the words that I heard from people whom I expected to love and take care of me. Poverty had told me I am hopeless, I am nothing, and I believed that. But right in the middle of this desperation, it was then that compassion intervened. One Sunday morning, my Aunt Carol, she's the only Christian person that I know during that time, she woke me up and said that we have to go to this church and she registered me. What joy and dancing came to my home at the news that I'd finally got a sponsor. I received my first letter. We wrote back and forth. They told me, you're my first friend outside my continent. She said words like, Richmond, I love you. And that lightened me up. My sponsor told me, Michelle, you are beautiful. You are precious to us and we love you. And the words touched the very depth of my heart and soul. 18 years later, here I am, a child rescued from hopelessness by a young person. My life was changed. My life was changed. My life was changed. By a teenager who sponsored me. One teenager changed my life. She was 15 years old. Her name is Ashley. Her name was Heather. I called her mom. My name is Michelle. My name is Tony. My name is Jimmy. My name is Richmond. And one act saved my life. And one act saved my life. Saved my life. Will you act? The choice is yours. Sponsor a child through compassion today. Release a child from poverty. From poverty. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. That's just powerful and, and, and life-changing stuff. All, all of this compassion stuff is really close to, to my heart as both my wife and I, we, we sponsor children with compassion. And as I just start to think about everything that we talked about from the beginning of this morning until now, I, I, I'm reminded of the, this song that I love and the, the band sings, they sing, there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. And then they, they continue to sing, they say, there's an army rising up to break every chain. That's us. We are the army that God wants to rise. And he will use us by the mighty power of his spirit within us, right? He will work through us to break every chain. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Let's rise up and be the church that God has called us to be. Let's continue to worship together.